The final score from Ann Arbor, Michigan 30, Ohio State 24. I said in several of my videos, previewing the game, giving analysis on the game, and giving a prediction and different angles on the game, I stated that the loser would face severe ramifications and that there couldn't be more on the line than there was for November 25th's matchup between the two Big Ten Titans. And the chickens came home to roost, I think, for my prediction. I predicted this game to be a Michigan win, a decisive Michigan win, by 31-17 to in favor of the Wolverines. And this game was closer than I expected. It was. Ohio State put on a better performance, a more physical performance, than I thought they were going to. And Michigan's defense showed more vulnerabilities and took more risks in negative ways than I anticipated. But at the end of the day, Michigan's defense forced two interceptions, forced multiple punts, made Ohio State uncomfortable, made Ryan Day play not to lose. And Michigan's offense took advantage of Jim Knowles' don't, um, bend but don't break defense, pardon me there, running for four yards per carry and once again outgaining Ohio State in total rushing yards and having a higher average yards per carry than the Buckeyes, despite the Buckeyes rushing for over 100 yards and having a drive where they pounded the Wolverines into submission in the trenches. Welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam, and as a Michigan fan, I'm happy I am elated. I don't know if you can tell by my voice, but that was because yesterday took a lot of energy out of me because the game was an all-time classic. And afterwards, I went out with my friends to celebrate my birthday and to my friends, um, Carver, Nick, Connor, and Muhammad. You guys made yesterday, I think, one of the best days of my life on a personal note. And to Sharon Moore, to Jesse Minter, to Jim Harbaugh for coaching six out of seven days during the week, and J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, Zach Zinner, Trevor Keegan, Drake Nugent, the whole offensive line, Colston Loveland, Roman Wilson, on defense, Rod Moore, Will Johnson, Chris Jenkins, Jalen Harrell for getting pressure. The Michigan football team also contributed to that amazing day. Before we get any further into this video, and I promise I'm done on a personal note, but I had to share that, please make sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel and also click the notification bell so that you can get notified when I release more college football content. I'm going to be talking about Michigan State's hiring of Jonathan Smith within the next 24 to 48 hours and give some way too early predictions about his tenure and talk about some of his staff hirings. I want to dive more into Ryan Day and his situation at Ohio State because I think he's receiving some hefty criticism and criticism that is viewed through Buckeye-tinted glasses. And it's fine to view your coach through the lens of solely your own fan base and your own expectations, but you also have to look at things through an objective point of view, and saying that Ryan Day has to be fired is ridiculous. He's owned every other Big Ten team except for Michigan. And let me tell you something. The three Michigan teams that he lost to 
were, in my mind, the best Michigan teams of the 21st century outside of the 2006 and maybe the 2003 Michigan football team in the month of November. That's it. Really good Michigan football teams. In fact, really good doesn't even describe those Michigan teams. Great near elite describes the 2021 team, and I'd say elite describes last year's team and this year's Michigan team. Sharon Moore, I know he's not credited with the wins against Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh gets credit for those, but I'm going to give them both credit. Sharon Moore is 4-0 as Michigan's interim head coach. Jim Harbaugh, 9-0 right now after originally being suspended in full for the first three games of the college football season, or of Michigan's football season, rather. Also, comment your thoughts and reactions to this game down below. And if you want to support the channel, you can check out my Patreon page, or you can represent your Big Ten team and college football with Sam by buying merchandise. The links for both my Patreon and my merch store are down in my description, and also down in the comment section via my pinned comment. Now, without further ado, let's dive deep here. I made a video yesterday that was about 20 minutes just giving a brief summary, and I am going to be rehashing a lot of points that I made in that video and recycling them, but I'm also going to go deeper into some topics, some topics that really interest me. Where do I start, really, other than the fact that these two teams took 10 minutes to feel each other out? You look at the play-by-play, and the first first 10 minutes of the game couldn't prepare you for what came next. A lot of people were picking the under in this game. I picked the over, but just by a slight margin in my prediction, the over already hit before some of the final points scored by either team. 54 points was the final point total, and the over-under was 46, so almost by double digits over the over-under number set by Vegas. But to start off the game, Ohio State punt, Michigan punt, no first downs on either of those punts. Ohio State gained, I think, two first downs, then they punted, or they gained one on their second drive. Michigan punted. And then third Ohio State drive, one play, and Kyle McCord, zing, Will Johnson picks him off. That was the most ill-advised throw I have ever seen from an Ohio State quarterback outside of maybe some of Kyle McCord's passes against Notre Dame on that final game-winning drive. But Will Johnson, incredible play. Marvin Harrison Jr., there are people blaming him for the first interception or the second. He had over 100 receiving yards and a touchdown, and he was torching. He torched Will Johnson outside of that one play. The interceptions, the bad throws are on McCord and Igbuka or Fleming for occasionally dropping balls. Marvin Harrison Jr. played almost a perfect game, in my opinion. You you cannot blame him here. Michigan capitalizes with a four-play, seven-yard drive, all runs. They hammer through Ohio State. It was pretty evident early on that Michigan in the interior trenches had a power advantage but Ohio State was doing a good job of handling gap integrity, making sure that Michigan couldn't get big runs on the inside. And Michigan's tackle play was not perfect. It was much better than it was in the prior two, three weeks. I think it was better since 
the early October, middle of October, but Michigan was healthier at tackle than they have been in a while, and Ohio State plays a bend-but-don't-break defense. They typically only send four people forward, and if you run the ball, their linebackers are good enough at reading opposing offenses and attacking the run that then they'll immediately come forward. But this is a very disciplined Ohio State defense. Their goal isn't to sack you. Their goal is to stifle you and force you into making mistakes. It kind of reminds me of an Iowa-esque defense, if I'm being honest. And how do you beat Iowa? Well, you don't throw on them for 300 yards. You either force their offense into making mistakes or you pound the rock on them. That's how you typically beat Iowa, unless you're that much more talented than them, than, that you can just blow them out of the water. And Michigan didn't have that talent advantage over Ohio State, so Michigan had to run the football. After Michigan forced that turnover and got a touchdown, Ohio State, 51-yard drive, they kicked a field goal. Michigan then went on a 14-play, 75-yard drive, eating up seven minutes of clock, and they went up 14-3. to Then Ohio State had their own seven-play, 73-yard drive where Igbuka was a nice route where Igbuka was motioned from the left side of the field to the right. And I think it was Rod Moore who was on him, and he got stuck trying to run through all of his linebackers, and Igbuka was just wide open. That was a brilliant play call by Ryan Day. I thought Day did a good job of calling the game overall, better than the previous two seasons. Michigan then punted after Michael Hall got a sack, and then Ohio State went on a long drive. It looked like they were going to get some momentum entering the half, and Jaden Fielding missed the field goal. Special teams were a blunder for Ohio State. They averaged 10 yards less per punt than Michigan, and Michigan went 3 of 3 on field goals while Ohio State went 1 of 2. And if he made that one field goal and McCord wasn't playing to win but playing to get the field goal, I'd say Ohio State probably ties this up and this game's sent to overtime, where Michigan still probably wins, just given the fact that I think they were better at special teams overall and also at running the football, which is important in an overtime scenario where the field is short. And it's hard to get big plays, but you never know. That field goal is very critical. Michigan, to open up the second quarter, gets a field goal. Ohio State goes on a 12-play, 75-yard drive that eats up six minutes of clock where they ran for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They ran eight times in a row to punch it in. And at that point, I felt the momentum shift to Ohio State. But then Michigan... Seven plays, 75 yards, and Corum capped that off with a 22-yard touchdown run. And then they forced Ohio State into an immediate three and out, got a field goal. At that point, Ohio State was playing catch-up, and they had to rely on their defense to get a stop. And bend-but-don't-break defenses are not good at getting quick three and outs. That is part of the reason why Ohio State lost, is not just because of the turnovers by McCord, but also that their defense isn't designed to get you off the field quickly. And that plays into Michigan wanting to control T.O.P. and using Blake Corum. Blake Corum, running back. Um, He was the most critical player in the game. He had 22 carries for 88 yards, two touchdowns. And that was one of his biggest workloads of the season. And he made the most of it. And again, going back to my earlier point about Michigan and Ohio State, Michigan and the Buckeyes, there weren't too many matchup advantages between the two. But Michigan was just still the more physically and mentally tough team, and they still had a trench advantage. 
I guess if there's one schematic matchup, it would be Michigan's style of offense against an Ohio State defense that is willing to allow you to move in between the 20s. Because on Michigan's final drive, where they ate up seven minutes of clock, had 13 plays, 56 yards, and they kicked a field goal to go up by six, as a Michigan fan, I would have loved for them to get the touchdown, but Ohio State's defense, to their credit, stopped Michigan finally. Michigan's defense is much better at getting you off the field in one single series. They're better at getting a three and out. Ohio State's defense, if they have one nitpicked weakness, whereas Michigan's, it's big plays in the secondary, and you saw that yesterday. They're very aggressive in the secondary, and that can result in some vulnerabilities. I think Ohio State clearly has the better secondary. Michigan, though, I think they're better at defensive line. I think they're better at linebacker, too. And Michigan, maybe they're better in some areas in the secondary. Maybe if they're healthy, they're better at corner. But I don't necessarily know. It's hard to judge that because Ohio State's so much better at wide receiver than Michigan is to where in this game it's hard to judge a secondary when there's such an imbalance at the wide receiver position. But if there's one weakness I can nitpick from OSU, it's the fact that they allow you to control T.O.P., with their defense. They allow you to go on these long drives, and if you want to burn up clock, you can. Then they stifle you in the red zone and force you to kick the field goal, or maybe they stifle you with the 50- or 40-yard line and force you to go for it or punt. One problem, Blake Corum, this is why he's the player of the game, converted two fourth downs for Michigan. One was a fourth and goal, the other was a fourth and one, and OSU was never stopping those fourth and ones. They can't. They don't have the scheme to line up in goal line and just stuff you on fourth and one, and, and, and few people do. Plus, Michigan has Blake Corum or Kalel Mullings, who are battering rams that you can use. And then Michigan's third fourth down conversion was a beautiful, beautiful pass to Colston Loveland. And Ohio State totally thought that it was a run. Michigan was aggressive, passing on that fourth and one, the trick play from Donovan Edwards, I think, again to Colston Loveland, or maybe it was A.J. Barner. Loveland had 88 receiving yards on five receptions. And Ohio State was superior on third down, but they missed a field goal. They punted on fourth and short, and it was understandable because fourth and one is a lot different than fourth and two. If Michigan had to go for it on fourth and two, I don't think they would have made it. Honestly, that's how good Ohio State's D-line is, even with how good Michigan's Blake Corum and Michigan's Drake Nugent, Zach Sinner, Trevor Keegan, and Carson Barnhart looked good at guard as well. This was a very even battle in the trenches, more so than in the previous two seasons, where Michigan just straight up bullied Ohio State into submission. That's not what this game was, not whatsoever. And for Corum, it was his birthday. Good for him. Happy birthday to Corum. I think he's, what, like a year older than me or so. Um, I hope that he has a great NFL future, and he's certainly, I'd say, an elite running back. And some may debate that, but Michigan has not opened up a lot of holes for him. And on that 22-yard touchdown run, he juked out Ohio State's entire defense. He had a shift to the right, and Ohio State's defense totally fell for it. And in basketball terms, that's basically breaking their ankles, and then he ran for a 22-yard run to the end zone with awesome acceleration. He has 22 rushing touchdowns, 976 rushing yards. He'll probably break 1,000 against Iowa on 202 carries. He's averaging 4.8 yards per carry. And he can have explosive runs. The problem is Michigan's offensive line just isn't the same. 
And losing Zach Zinner is a big deal. That actually really dents some of my predictions for Michigan, where I had them in the preseason winning it all with Zach Zinner probably out for the season. And I don't know when Will Johnson's going to return. Some of these injuries could be devastating for Michigan, but Ohio State's dealt with injuries and they've succeeded. And Georgia's dealt with injuries and succeeded. So the elite teams, they fight through adversity. 2014 Ohio State's an example of this one. Cardale Jones won them the national championship. So can Michigan respond to that? We'll see. I think Corum's an elite player. Corum responded to adversity. He was very emotional after that Zach Zinner injury, and then he took it to the house. Explay later. And I think that shows, I think Corum really embodies a lot about Michigan. I think he embodies this team, really. He is stout. He's strong. He's athletic. And he's physical. He's big. He's, you know, 5'8", 213 pounds of mostly muscle. And he has a personality to him. Where, like, you can you can see that confidence. Sometimes it feels like overconfidence coming through. But overall, he's just, you know, not necessarily loud. He's not loud whatsoever, in my mind, with his mouth. And he just goes about his business. And I think he's a great guy, great player, great man. And what else can you say? He's Michigan's best running back. I thought that yesterday showed that he was the better running back than Henderson. I know that Corum has a better offensive line, but Henderson, when you put him in power situations, and I know he's going up against, I think, the number one D-line in the country, his longest carry was of eight yards. I think he's good. I think he's one of the best running backs in the country. I would just prefer Corum's reliability and his ability to make holes, and he's shiftier. He's shiftier than Henderson is. Henderson is that higher upside. NFL teams would probably prefer a Travion Henderson just because of that raw athleticism, better height, and better receiving ability. But Corum is more reliable. And Henderson got dinged up in this game, and, and Corum didn't. And that's not to Henderson's fault whatsoever. I felt bad for him and Marvin Harrison Jr., because they'll probably never beat Michigan. They're probably going to the NFL after the season. And these are phenomenal players. These are hard workers. They have courage. They were tough. Ohio State was a tough team in this game. I said that yesterday in my quick reaction and analysis, which I thought went pretty well. I said that. Ohio State was tough. They were mentally tough. I don't know if they were as physically tough as they were mentally tough. In fact, I don't think they were, but they were physically tougher than in previous seasons. It just didn't matter. Because like at running back, for example, where Corum is better than Henderson, at tight end, Colston Loveland and A.J. Barner are better than Cade Stover. At offensive line, Ladarius Henderson, Miles Hinton, Carson Barnhart are better than Josh Fryer and Josh Simmons. At guard, Zach Zinner, Trevor Keegan, and Barnhart when he moved on the interior are better than Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones. And Drake Nugent is better than Carson Hinsman. And on the defense, Chris Jenkins, Mason Graham, Jalen Harrell, Derek Moore, Braden McGregor, Josiah Stewart, Kenneth Grant, they're better on average. Of course, this is an on average basis than Michael Hall, Tyleek Williams, GT Tui Moolau and Jack Sawyer. And at linebacker, Ernest Hausman, Michael Barrett, who nearly had an interception. He, he guarded Cade Stover well 
on one play where McCord nearly threw what would have been his third interception of the day. This was much earlier in the game, though, before that second interception. And Junior Colson, compared to Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, they're, they have their differences. I think Ohio State's linebackers are better in run defense and Michigan's are better in pass defense. But Michigan is better in every area, I think, except perimeter play, except at corner, safety, although I think corner's up for debate when Michigan's healthy. Michigan's corners played pretty well yesterday. I don't blame them, really, for Marvin Harrison Jr. making those plays. He'll make them on anyone, whether it's Georgia's defensive backs or Ohio State's defensive backs in practice. And wide receiver, obviously. Michigan does not have an Emeka Igbuka. I don't even think they have a Julian Fleming when he's playing to his ceiling. And they certainly don't have a Marvin Harrison Jr. But that's it. Michigan's the better team in every other area. And Sharon Moore, I thought Day played a great game. He called a great game. Were there things that you could have changed? Yes. But if you just put C.J. Stroud in place of Kyle McCord, I'll tell you, and I hate to admit it, but... Ohio State would have won because their offensive line played their best game of the season, and Michigan had faults of their own. But the difference is Sharon Moore, he 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 had counterpunches to what Ryan Day offered, and that shows that Sharon Moore, I think he's a great future head coach. If Jim Harbaugh leaves after this season, I wouldn't trust him with the program. Now, I would want an outside hire to be made, and not just internal promotion for other positions, but Sharon Moore, I think, has earned the fan base's trust and Jim Harbaugh's trust. That's why Jim Harbaugh elevated him to serve that role as interim CEO on the field against Michigan's two biggest opponents, two best opponents. In fact, three best opponents outside of maybe UNLV, and Maryland would probably beat UNLV based off of talent alone. There. End of story. But to focus on Ohio State, they played an A-level game. I thought they played one of their better games of the season. I mean, they only punted three times. They were consistent offensively against a defense that I think is number one or number two in the country. They did that. And yet, and yet, it wasn't enough. It wasn't. Michigan, suffering through injuries, having some just bad, busted coverages. On defense, Michigan, at times, part of me is thinking, what are you doing? I appreciate you testing Kyle McCord's toughness and his accuracy and just his his will to take risks, his moxie. I appreciate that. But he, he was burning you for two, three, four quarters, frankly. Like, go back to your original soft zone and make them patiently drive down the field. Ohio State really only did that one, maybe two times. There were some drives where they were able to quickly get down the field and score. And typically, Michigan against Ohio State, whether it's Jesse Minner or Mike McDonald, they have forced Ohio State to slowly work down the field. Didn't always do that in this game, so Michigan didn't call a perfect play on defense. Offensively, Michigan was conservative at the end, as expected. There were other times where Michigan was straight-up aggressive or where J.J. McCarthy took a sack, though I'm going to say that was a great play by Ohio State and not just a bad play. I don't want to take it—I don't want to discredit Ohio State because that's not the point here. My point is I'm giving credit to Ohio State. 
this whole Ryan Day needs to be fired and this team would not compete in the playoff and blah. It's blah. It's gross. It's it's a bad argument. Ryan Day is undefeated against everyone else in the Big Ten except for Michigan. Ryan Day is a winning record in ranked games, a winning record in top ten games. He has a losing record in top five games. But Jim Harbaugh did before 2021, and he still does to this day. Even with his teams and his own recent success, he still has a losing record in top five matchups. Top five matchups are hard to win, and Day has been very close. And he's met up with some top five teams that were, I think, underrated. Alabama in 2020, that's one of the greatest teams of all time. I don't care if it was during the COVID year. The way they executed was unlike any other team. And you have Nick Saban, the GOAT, leading a potential GOAT team. Whereas many other GOAT teams, outside of the ones led by Tom Osborne, were led by Larry Coker, who flamed out, and Ed Orgeron, who flamed out. And then the Michigan teams, look, you you have to beat Michigan at Ohio State. I'm not going to excuse that away. You have to. But losing three times to Michigan in a row, it's understandable that that's painful. It's unacceptable. He won all other 11 games, and Ohio State still has a chance to win win a bowl, go 12-1, and or reach the college football playoff and go 13-1 and if enough chaos happens. My statement on Ryan Day, and I said this, maybe not on air but off air, is if he loses to Michigan at home in 2024, given that he lost this game to Michigan in 2023, which he did, 30-24, to then the hot seat talk can begin because losing four in a row to Michigan and two in a row at home, especially when Michigan loses everyone they do this season, that is plain inexcusable. But I think this Michigan team's straight up better than OSU, and FPI can disagree with me. FPI actually was more impressed with Ohio State's performance than Michigan's yesterday. That's why they separated in favor of Ohio State after yesterday's game, because FPI doesn't really care about turnovers. Most power rankings don't. They view them as flukish even though McCord's turnovers were anything but a fluke. He's thrown inaccurate balls all season. That is his ceiling. His ceiling against a defense like this is giving away the ball once. And Ohio State's defense, I think, to compensate, will have to do better. The run game will have to do better. But Michigan is one of the best rushing defenses in the country. So if Ohio State matches up with a Georgia or an Alabama, both who have allowed Auburn to run on them all day and other SEC teams to run on them all day long. I think Ohio State could run on Georgia, and I think they could run on Alabama. I think they could pull a Michigan on those two teams and out-physical them. I do, because I don't think that Alabama or Georgia have the physicality on defense in the trenches that Michigan does. I think Georgia has a better secondary than Michigan does, but linebacker, Defensive line, some of that's due to injury, but just straight up watching them play? No. Georgia is not efficient in stopping the run. The reason their run defense isn't worse than it already is is because people remember Jalen Carter and Trayvon Walker. They respect Jor- They respect the brand. They're not looking at the actual schematic defense. They respect the brand. It's the same for Ohio State. Teams often run on they run on Michigan more than they do Ohio State 
And I think part of that is because Michigan's weakness on defense the past two seasons has been at D-tackle. That's not the case anymore. And for OSU, they've been known to be D-line U or D-N-D-U. So teams want to... There's psychology in sports. Not Teams don't just only look at this year's analytics. Coaches can get too emotional. We've seen that with Day over 2021 and 2022. And they can also sometimes get too deep into the analytics and forget like, hey, on paper this looks really good, but think about the past. Think of Dan Lanning against Washington. Oregon's nearly a 10-point favorite over Washington, and they lost to them because Dan Lanning went for it on fourth down three times and failed three times. So what makes this game perhaps more painful than the last two for Ohio State is Ohio State was close, and they played, I think, one of their best games or their best game of the season. Michigan didn't, and yet Michigan still beat them because Michigan's straight up the better team. But this team would compete in the college football playoff. This team can beat Michigan. These teams are closer together than I actually thought they were. I thought that Michigan would be decisively better than Ohio State. That's not the case. They're better. They're not decisively better. They're not better by a wide margin or as wide of a margin as I thought. And that impressed me. Ohio State impressed me yesterday. There were multiple points where I thought Ohio State would con- would take control of the game, but they can't because Michigan is too good offensively and defensively. They respond to adversity and Ohio State is not consistent enough. If Ohio State with this defense had 2021 or 2022's offense, they win. They win the game straight up. They, they win by 7, 10, or 14 points. But they didn't, and that's the story of college football. That's the ebb and flow of the rivalry, and I don't think Ryan Day is going anywhere. Texas A&M rumors, I doubt it. If he goes, I will personally lose respect for him, and I think most Ohio State fans and Big Ten fans would, because that would be an obvious sign now that he's running from Michigan, and you shouldn't, because Ohio State can compete with Michigan. They did yesterday, and they can beat them. And way too early 2024 opinion, they will probably beat Michigan next year, and it may not be a close game because my team returns J.J. McCarthy. That's phenomenal. They return Donovan Edwards. That's great. Uh, Guess what Michigan does? They lose most of their receivers, most of their O-line, and most of their defense, and we have a tough schedule. So Michigan could be burned out and full of injuries next season, entering into a hornet's nest that is Columbus. I'm not optimistic about that. But for the first time, I predicted the game correctly. I predicted Michigan would win and cover, and they did. And over the past two seasons, or the previous two seasons, I thought that Ohio State would win, but I thought Michigan would cover. I was right on the spread part. I was not right on the victor part. Michigan winning three years in a row is impressive. It is. And Michigan... Look, they were the more efficient team. They didn't play a better game than Ohio State. I thought that if, again, if both teams played to their ceiling, I think Michigan would have won this game by more and in a more decisive manner. But they didn't. But they didn't need to. They had less total offensive yards. They were less explosive in the passing game. Ohio State, outside of the turnovers, looked like they had the better offense, and that impressed me with the fact they had inferior QB play, inferior running back play, inferior O-line play. Oh, by the way, if you're Ryan Day, you have to use Chip Trainum more. You have to. He's going to be back next season, and he's a Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum clone. 
if you have improvements on the offensive line, he will work opposing defenses. Maybe this year if they go to the playoff or the bowl game and they use him more, or next year, he'll work opposing defenses. He will. He's a great running back. To get back to Michigan, for the first time in years, Michigan had the higher ceiling. I think this is the first time since maybe, maybe last year. I think both Michigan and OSU had a crazy high ceiling in 2022. But I think Ohio State overall had the higher ceiling in 22. Maybe. I'm going to leave that up for debate, though. Tell me down below, actually, I'm changing my mind so much, if you think Michigan or Ohio State had the higher ceiling last year. I think Ohio State obviously had the higher ceiling in 2021, and I think 2016 was the only other Jim Harbaugh team that had a higher ceiling than the Ohio State counterpart they faced that season. And 2016 was a game where much like this year, I think, or not exactly, I'm trying to think, where similarly, Michigan entered and Michigan... Look, Michigan was not ranked higher. I'm confusing myself here, my bad. Ohio State was the more consistent team. This is where I wanted to go. Ohio State was the more consistent team in 2016. They were. They didn't throw a pick six. They, Wilton Spate, threw the game away for Michigan. Not JT Barrett, not J.K. Dobbins. I'm messing everything up now. He didn't throw the game away. And Ohio State won. They were the more consistent team. They made the less they made less mistakes. They had less penalties and they had less turnovers. And they converted a clutch fourth down to win it in overtime. Michigan this season was the more consistent team as well. Now there's a lot of differences between the 2016 game and the 2023 game. Michigan in both seasons I think had the higher ceiling overall. And I think Ohio State in 2016 played higher to their performance or higher to their ceiling, much like Ohio State did this season. That also shows how big of an impact home field is. Ohio State had the home field in 2016. Michigan had it in 2023. The only commonality between the victors of those two games, because there are so many differences, and I think 2023 Michigan would decisively beat 2016 Ohio State. But the key is those teams were more disciplined. And they were at home, and despite facing a team in 2016 Michigan that had a higher ceiling and was power rated higher, and despite Michigan this year facing an Ohio State team that was power rated higher, but was different in the fact that they put on a better game than Michigan did in Michigan's own home, consistency, discipline, and patience ruled the day. Also running the football. Now for 22 straight editions of the game, the team with the most rushing yards and who averages the most yards per carry won. Michigan averaged four yards per carry. They ran for 156 total yards and two touchdowns. I thought Michigan would run for over 200 yards, probably around five yards per carry. That didn't happen. Ohio State impressed me at defensive line and on defense more than I thought they were going to. Honest goodness. But Michigan found a way to win. They had 39 carries, 21 passing attempts. Ohio State had 30 passing attempts, as did 28 carries. So the Buckeyes had 58 plays. The Wolverines had 60. So both teams, 
pretty equal in terms of plays, pretty equal in terms of time of possession until that final Michigan drive where, again, Jim Knowles, why are you in bend but don't break? Take a risk. It, it may bite you in the butt, but you have to give time for the offense to drive down the field. Take some risks. Take them. Michigan ended the game with a seven-minute possession advantage because of their final seven-minute drive. T.O.P. was equal before then. And the Buckeyes, they had 40 more yards. They had three more first downs. They were more efficient on third down. This was a really good game. And for Ohio State, I want to say, good game. You had me in panic mode at times, and you had other Michigan fans in panic mode at times. But for the first time in years, Michigan, I think, if both Ohio State and Michigan play to their ceiling, Michigan's better. Straight up. If these teams play to their ceiling, Michigan wins six, seven, eight, nine times out of ten. That's a wide range, but that's because they only played once, and yesterday's game could have gone either way. So I don't want to make too many judgments. But Michigan was consistent, they were disciplined, they stuck to their identity, and they were adaptive, they were aggressive. They got pressure when it mattered most on that final Kyle McCord pass where Rod Moore scooped that ball before it hit the ground. And Will Johnson, I hope that he recovers. I hope Trevor Keegan and Zach Zinner recover, especially Zinter for having, I think, a broken tibula and fibula. He's probably out for the season, from what I understand, due to that injury. And the Wolverines can win it all. They can. Michigan is the second most efficient defense and the third most efficient offense per ESPN efficiency. It was actually the defense that regressed in efficiency by a lot after the game. The offense stayed pretty equal. And Michigan is still ahead of Ohio State and Oregon by a consistent amount in efficiency metrics. So that's encouraging. Now, if these teams rematch in the college football playoff, it will be hard to pick against Ohio State because it's hard to pick one team to beat an elite team twice, and Michigan had the benefit of home field, and that played a factor. That's why Ohio State had to use two timeouts in the first half. I think the noise got to Kyle McCord at times, and there's just a sense of energy and togetherness and really just anger after that injury to Zinter in the whole stadium, and that played a factor. Michigan got juice from facing adversity and their home field advantage. And that's what elite teams do is when they get punched in the mouth, they get that adrenaline rush. They get better. They may not win the game, but they respond, respond, respond. They go into Hulk mode. Like when Bruce Banner gets beat up and he turns into the Hulk out of anger. That's what elite teams do. That's what Michigan did. But I saw that in Ohio State too, because every time that Michigan could have started blowing them out and pulling away. Ohio State said no, and they responded. But because of the turnovers, they were playing catch-up, and that's where they got in trouble. So Michigan won because they were more consistent and because they were overall just the better team. So even when Ohio State played closer to their potential, Michigan still came away with a win. But these two teams are so close, and a rematch to win it all or somehow in the semifinals would be awesome. Awesome. And that prediction, which is a preseason prediction of mine, is still up in the air. It could still happen. Thank you so much for watching this video. Please subscribe, like the video, comment your thoughts down below. Thank you to my Patreon members 
Crash2488, Anthony McDowell, and Justin Rogg for sponsoring the video. Thanks to Justin Br Spencer Bringhurst, Snowy DLC, and SFS Inverted for being All-American patrons. And thanks to Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming No, Matthew Seal, Chris Lane, Austin Christmas, and Zubin Zah for being All-Conference patrons for the month of November. Have a great day, guys, and I will see you around. Bye-bye.